Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is your boy, Jay Mace, and welcome to a very special episode of Beyond the Album Cover, where we give the ins and outs of the entertainment industry to give flowers to those while they're here, while they can smell them and see them. I have a really good friend of mine with me. This man has been on the radio for years, been grinding, whether it's at DSU, 99.5 Jams, Power 95.5, Streets Radio, and doing his own thing as Ben is on ball. I got the one, the only, the legendary DJ 32132. Welcome to the podcast, bro. Oh, thank you, man. Thank you for the, the legendary uh, the legendary title. I I'm definitely appreciate that. Yeah, man. I'm trying to be like Sway and do heavy intros and make you feel all super informed, which you are, man, because you gave me a lot of advice over the years and hit me on the game, man. I really appreciate you wholeheartedly for it. Oh, yeah. No problem. Hey, that's just my purpose. You know, I want to make sure that I equip myself with the knowledge and then give it out to those that, you know, that want to get to the next level and, and let them know that it's definitely possible. Whatever that next level looks like in your eyes, in your vision, you can definitely accomplish it. I just try to just help those like yourself, man. You know, we work together at the radio station. You know, I give advice even even after you move across the country, you know. So that's, that's what I just try to do, man, just living in purpose. Yeah, it's all about each one teach one because I try to do the same thing as well with people who've just started podcasting and with my experience being in broadcasting just to tell them what I've been told by somebody else and not be stingy with the tricks of the trade that I know, you know what I mean? Yeah, because, I mean, we have to unlearn this notion that, you know, if we help this next person, they're going to take our spot. But what about us? And that's not even the case. You know, when, when it comes to getting that next level, even making money, help somebody else make money. That's how you make more money because that's good karma, that's good energy, and it comes back to you. I don't mind helping anybody or putting them in position to make more money, you know, um, because in the end, I'm helping them, and then helping them helps me in the process. So I, I don't mind that at all. Yeah, because I was just reminiscing with uh, Chris Lee, who is the head sports anchor for WREL. We went to school together, and we were talking about our journey together where we were both taking broadcasting classes, and I started on the radio a semester before he did, and he would come sit in on my show, and that led to everything else that came for him after that to where he's now top guy in the Raleigh Durham market on WRL and I'm super proud of him. Yeah, definitely, man. That's what's up. Yeah, so before we do a deep dive into the pod, I want to touch on real briefly about the whole Nick Cannon situation with his comments that was made on his podcast in which he had Professor Griff from Public Enemy and the backlash that has ensued because of that. What's your take on that? Nick Cannon, I, I don't see what was in what he said you know i think people have to look up these terms that they're using and really look at the definition he didn't attack anybody he even said it before he got into his statement that he didn't want to say it wrong or he didn't want to you know come off as anti anything like he really said that in the beginning of the clip so for for people to still take it as what he said was anti-Semitic, it really doesn't make any sense because we said not trying to go that route. I want to make sure I say things the right way. So it wasn't like he bashed Jews or anybody. What he said was actually true. <laughs> so I really didn't understand the backlash, you know, but that's just the era we live in where people have selective outrage. You know, we have a president that says wild things about different ethnic groups all the time, and he's still in the White House. 
So, you know. Right. And like you said, it's the age that we are living in where everybody's not so quick to fact check and pretty much take whatever is tweeted or posted on the gram or whatever as gospel. Yeah, they definitely take it as face value. And that's detrimental, not just in our community, because people in the black community, we do that so often. But just you know, in the physical realm, in the media realm, not fact-checking, not researching. I see a lot of misinformation get spread around, you know, quicker than the coronavirus is going around. It's like you guys need to research this stuff before you go and take it as gospel, like you said. So I think we're in an ultimate reality, to be honest with you. I just hope we get through it. Whatever is going on in 2020, I'm just ready to get to 2021 because this, this isn't it. <laughs> yeah, 2020 needs to just go ahead and hit the sim button like you do on Madden, man. Just go ahead and just end it, bro. You know, hit the reset button. We need to unplug the game. Something because <laughs> this isn't it, man, you know. Yes, uh, somebody tripped the quit work. Yeah, somebody quit because <laughs> 2020 is definitely been, definitely one for the book. Mm, definitely that, and with the broadcasting industry, we've seen a lot of cuts where a lot of stations, media companies are doing furloughs, and it's just been devastating all the way around, no matter which way you slice it. Yeah, you know, this is one of my, one of the things I love talking about. It's an unfortunate situation because a lot of people rely on these jobs, you know, and the reason why I love talking about it is because I try to get people to shift their mindset and think differently, you know, not not to just rely on that one stream of income. So now in 2020, you have to develop multiple things of revenue because of budget cuts, because of furloughs. You can't control what upper management does. You know, there's no such thing as job security when two words, either you're fired or budget cuts, can ultimately put you in a, in a you know, a predicament you don't want to be in financially. So I tell people all the time, monetize a skill that you developed on the job or monetize something that you love doing every day. Um, you have to create multiple streams of revenue relying on that one job when something happens. It's not going to be pretty. And nearly 80% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. So when you get furloughed or you get cut, you're not gonna you're not gonna make it past one pay period. <laughs> so you gotta have multiple streams of revenue. Yeah, definitely that. Gone are the days where you work a good job for twenty, thirty years, you get that nice retirement party, pension and maybe a gold watch at the end. Those days are gone bye 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 like in sync. Yeah, uh I don't know if you saw that still from I don't seven one Memphis, he just gotta go. And he was there for 20 years. You know, Radio 1, when they were doing all their budget cuts, I mean, they were letting people go that's been with the company 20, 25 years. No send-off, no go farewell party, no nothing. Like, so in the, in the world, not just a radio, but entertainment period, it's, it's, it's cutthroat just like any other any other industry. So you can't, you can't go in thinking, oh, I'm going to be with this company for 30, 45 years. And why would you even want to be with a company that long and have really have nothing to show for? Yeah, and I think that's probably in part because we've seen that model from maybe parents and grandparents where they worked that one job. But we got to look at the times, though, where the options were very limited and there were a lot more things in place to where jobs were able to take care of their employees and everything stayed in the U.S. But once NATO got slashed, they started moving jobs overseas, and that was kind of 
the end of that dream of getting that good job and being a lifer. Yeah, now you have people creating their own dream jobs, you know, and that's ultimately what we shift towards as what they like to call the uh, gig economy. So now you have a lot of full-time gig workers. I'm a gig worker. My newest business, CP Group, is a social media management agency. That's a gig business. My DJ brand, karaoke brand, is gig business. Is a part of the gig economy. So this is a new economy that we're in. And I, I love it, to be honest. You know, I don't have to wait two weeks to get paid. <laughs> I can get paid every day if I want to. So it, it all it all falls squarely on me, and I love it. You know, it has its pros and its cons. And the cons, like you said, where things are in place where you can work one job for 30, 40 years, get a retirement, get a pension. But you have, now you have to create your own. Right. And for those that don't know, tell everybody about how you got your start in the DJ. Man, I used to watch Rap City in high school. And Big Tigger was doing the basement, and he would have different DJs on. And every day after school, 4 o'clock, that's crazy. I still remember this, man. It's like 20 years ago. I would just sit right there in front of the TV and watch the DJs beat, juggle, scratch. I said, yeah, that's it right there. That's what I want to do. At first, I wanted to make beats. Bought a little blue beat machine <laughs> didn't know what i was doing I had no idea how to count measures and i just was beating on the pad i had nothing to record it on it was terrible so i was like okay i really want to get in the music game i have to figure it out i wasn't gonna be an artist i'm not a rapper i'm not a singer so i'm definitely not going that route so watching rap city i said boom i'm, I'm gonna be a dj and then uh what really drove it home was I used to work at the library, and um, one day, man, it was a boring job. So I used to daydream a lot, and I just had the vision of, you know, DJing internationally, rocking parties, and I'm like, yeah, I got to do this. I, I got to make it happen. So Rap City put the vision in my mind, planted the seed, and at the time, I was playing basketball, so I, I couldn't work. My parents gave me a credit card just for gas, just supposed to get gas. Man, bought a whole turntable set, some vinyl. <laughs> when it came in the mail... I hid boxes. I couldn't figure out how to hide the bill because it was in their name. They was going to get it. It had to get paid. So, yeah, that was a very interesting conversation when they did get the bill. <laughs> right. You had to sit down, and it was like Charlie Brown, womp, 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 because you knew you were nah, going to get it. Nah, you know, it wasn't It wasn't that. I mean, my parents, they were like, well, I have been talking and asking them to help me get a, a DJ set. So, I mean, me, it was like an investment in a business, and that's how they kind of viewed it. I did get in trouble a little bit, but it wasn't like they punished me or anything. So they just looked at it as, okay, well, he's, he's investing in a business. So they came around. It took them a while to actually come around to me making a living as a DJ. I want to say this was 01. I want to say they came around maybe 2011, 2010. Yeah, so maybe about a good 10 years after I bought the first set. And then when I finished school and I was out on my own and I wasn't asking them for help or I didn't need any money, I was making a, uh, I was making a good living DJ parties in the great city of Roto Practice. <laughs> yeah, that's how I got my start in the DJ, man. I just, just went from there. So I uh, went to college, started hitting up record stores, practicing in my dorm room. 
I did the basement parties, I did the house parties, I did the campus events, DJing on campus radio station, started at the campus radio station on air. I paid my dues, man. Everything you can think of that a DJ supposed to do at the ground level, I did it. Right. And did you have any mentors along the way once you got that first set that kind of took you under their wing to show you the ropes? I didn't have uh I didn't have mentors per se. I, I did have a friend of mine and we still we see each other on Instagram and Facebook often. I remind him, when I first got my DJ set, he came over, his name was Bo. He came over, he started playing, DJing on it. It was a belt drive set, so anybody that may not know, belt drive turntables are the absolute worst. Like, the needle would jump all over the record if you try to scratch. So it's like a certain way. You couldn't be heavy-handed. So he came over, he started, you know, doing some things on the turntables, showing me. Then when I got to college, I met my boy, DJ Bouncer, and Bouncer showed me how to mix. He showed me how to mix from one song to the next, the way he was taught. So he was under DJ Foot, who was currently the night person at one of the beat in Richmond. So I was under him for a little while. He showed me how to mix, and that's how I worked on my mixing. I was, actually, I made my first mixtape on cassette at his crib. I know I still got it somewhere boxed up, so hopefully I'll find it one day. I definitely got to hear that. It sounds like you were really getting your hustle and flow on, man. Man, look, I was terrible, bro. <laughs> I don't know what I would be able to play it on. I was terrible. So, like I said, I was in school, so this was around 2003. Uh, linked up with this group called Dirty Dozen. They were doing parties every Everybody, yeah, they had everybody. And so that's when I learned about throwing your own event because the main guy, his name was Paul. So he showed me cutting, scratching, blending. We would go over his house, have a session. Uh, I really learned a lot, the technical aspect and then also the business aspect because he wasn't getting booked to do his own events. He was throwing his own parties. Thus, <laughs> if he had three, four hundred people paying ten, fifteen dollars, you know, he made some nice change at the end of the night. So I learned a lot on the business aspect from him. I got kicked out of school in 04. So when I came back, I branched out on my own, started doing my own stuff at Virginia State, started doing stuff for the fraternities or sororities. And then I linked up with my homegirl, Naomi, rest in peace. And we started throwing parties on a Monday, Monday night, looking like a Friday night, bro. <laughs> Crazy. You can't really get nobody to come out in the early part of the week because normally most college nights are typically going to run Thursday through Friday, Saturday, Sunday, depending on what market you're at. Yeah, and normally it'd be Thursday, Friday, Saturday in the Richmond-Petersburg area, really any area with dealing with black folks. So we started doing something on a Monday night. So at first it started off slow, and I don't know what it, it was like about a month in. I don't know what it was. You know, the right people came in, I guess, and, man, that gonna just took off. It started looking like a Friday night, so, and the owner was like, he made more money on Monday nights than he did on the weekend. It was a legendary run, man. Like, we, we went hard for a good year and a half before we had to stop it. He sold the, uh, the bar. So, and at the time, I was doing, uh, the hip hop show on the campus station on Saturday night, and then I was still doing my on-air stuff during the week. So, I would get my hustle on, man. Like, interviewing artists coming to the station. We had Jay Holiday come through when, when Bed was like at the peak. Like, number one, he came through, man, it was crazy. So, he actually got me out of a test. <laughs> so, 
I got to thank him next time I talk to him. Yeah, that's crazy. So you're throwing parties in uh, Petersburg. Did you collaborate with anybody that was out of Richmond since Petersburg was close to the Richmond area with schools like Virginia Union, BCU, and University of Richmond? I didn't collab until I finished school. It was crazy. I linked up with this sorority. No, was it, I think it was, yeah, it was a sorority. I linked up with this sorority. After I finished school, I would drive up there and do their campus events at Virginia Union. I didn't really do much for VCU, so, but it was mainly Virginia State, Virginia Union. Then I, you know, got with Sir RJ, who's currently the afternoon guy on iPower. So I got with him after the fact when I finished school. So I didn't really go with people in Richmond until I finished college. Okay. And the big million dollar question that everybody wants to know, how did you end up in Poe Dump, Ronald Rapids, North Carolina? Hold on, man. I got to show a lot of love to Ronald Rapids because I had to think outside the box while living there, bro. Like, I have to admit, Ronald Rapids shaped my mentality, like, thinking differently and thinking creatively with my brand. So I linked up with CJ, uh, who's still the PD at 99.5. I linked up with him at a party. I did in Gaston at this club called Destination, and they had this real big party. They had uh, Jake Bo from the Youngbloods was there. There was one other person. I got to find the flyer. This had to be like 06, 07. Yeah, and this was uh, 06, 07. I hadn't really finished school yet. So we linked up at the party, kept in contact. I saw he was celebrating his one-year program direct anniversary. So I shot him a message, and I congratulated him, and he replied back, like, hey, you looking for a one-year job? So I was like, I wanted to say, hell yeah. So I kept a professional. I was like, yeah, what's up? So he told me he had a weekend position open, and so I came down, and it went from doing weekends on 99.5 to being the news assistant, where at the time they had a TV news, W. NBN, so I ended up being the news assistant for that during the week and do on air on the weekends. And then we switched morning shows, got Russ Parr. So I was like, well, let me go ahead and make this move down to Ronald Rapids. And so that's how I ended up down there. Right. And for those that don't know, for disclosure, 321 and I, we were co-workers at the same radio station. And that's where we ended up linking up and meeting. But to set the scene up for you, the radio station is pretty much small operation, small, maybe medium market size, where you're pretty much going to be doing more than just one thing. In addition to board opting for local high school football games or college games, if you don't have it automatically sent out on the satellite feed, you're going to be helping the salespeople cut commercials. And you may even go out and maybe do some sales. So it's pretty much a one-stop shop where you're going to learn all aspects of the business and a good training ground. And I learned so much. I just told CJ, I'm tapping into a skill that I learned while under him. I, I, I know how to build websites. I know how to build and maintain websites. I built my two websites and maintained them. My DJ website been up for nearly 10 years. I've maintained that. I changed the layout like three or four times. So, and that's a skill set I learned while working under him. When I was on Power 95.5, when I made the transition to Rocky Mount, which is the next city over in North Carolina, straight down 95. So I got into selling radio advertising heavy, and I used to hate sales. I'm like any other typical black man, don't want to do sales. <laughs> so, But like you said, you're going to do everything under the sun. You're going to sell some advertising, and that's what I did. Yeah, like in the words of Al Haskins, sell, sell, sell. Yeah. And it don't make a difference. <laughs> Yeah, it was whack ass. Yeah.
<laughs> it definitely don't make make a difference. Um, if you'll hear some inside jokes, people could like that. We used to work there, so a lot of stuff you'll hear. It'll probably be inside between me and him. So FYI, and Rocky Mount. For those of you that are not from North Carolina, it's primarily known as the hometown where the late Coach Herman Boone from Remember the Titans is from, and also Terrence J. Yep, from Park. Yeah, and it's funny, ironically, about Terrence J. You know, when I first got to 99.5, and actually kind of did the same approach, I messaged D Train and asked him, "Hey, can I just come and just hang around?" And he was like, "Sure," and that's where he gave me the nickname and one. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I forgot about that. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, I would be at the station all of the time, and then that's where I met you, CJ, Curtis, mm-hmm. Richard, and yeah. all of us. That's where we all met. And back to D-Train, when I first started going there, he was sharing the stories about Terrence J and how he got on out there. And when his book dropped, I was like, huh, I kind of knew a little bit of the stuff before the book even came out because of D-Train having first-hand knowledge of really putting Terrence J on. Yeah. Even when I talked to him, when I interviewed him, he came to Virginia State a couple of times, and then I interviewed him a few years ago. You know, I brought up D-Train's name, and he was like, yo, man, he's like, D-Train pretty much taught me everything I knew, so. Yeah, man, real down-to-earth dude. I just watched the movie Perfect Match last week. It's always good to see a young black man, you know, succeeding out here, pursuing his passion. Right, and then it even got even more crazier once Trey Songz and Chris Brown exploded, because, you know, Trey Songz from Petersburg, Chris mm-hmm. Brown not too far from Tappahannock, Virginia, so trying to have a little bit of local ties, even though, we're right there at Virginia, but we still kind of claim those two. I got to witness both of their come-ups. So, Trey Songz, man, he was like a model first when he first got signed to Atlantic. So, he started doing modeling before his music. They started putting the budget behind him and putting his music out. So, his name started buzzing around Petersburg, you know, especially when he started getting into, like, the major magazines and stuff like that. So... So when he got, just got to make it, man, it felt like the energy was just so different at that time. And I was out of school, so but I was I was still in Virginia. So, like, the vibe in Petersburg, whenever I go back to visit, it was just, like, totally different. Like, his songs all over the radio. And then I remember I used to work for a magazine in D.C. called Streets Magazine. And they actually had a shoot with Trey. Actually, I got to meet him. It was right before... The video for Just Gotta Make It had dropped. So uh, I got to see him at the shoe, got to talk with him a little bit. And then Tim Brown, I met Chris in D.C. at a record pool event. And back in the day, uh, there used to be this record pool called that Red Drive Record Pool. They used to have events in different lounges in D.C. And they would bring, like, artists to Like, I've seen Killer Mike from Valentine, who's now on Love and Hip Hop Hollywood, if I'm not mistaken. So... And Chris Brown came to, uh, you know, one of the record pool meetings, and this was when a Run It was about to drop, and that's the thing that he was pushing. So, yeah, man, just, just to see them guys in the beginning stages to where they are now, like, it's crazy. Right, and we also can't forget on Tower, she had a um, couple of hits for a minute, Country Boys, and then I can't recall the second single, but it sampled Rush Rush by Paul Abdul, but it was yeah. a banger for her. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so by being close to the D.C. area, living in Virginia, how much of Go-Go did you play into your DJ set? About as much as I play now. Like, play, I can rock a few Go-Go joints. Couldn't really get too deep into it because then at that time, man, people, you know, Go-Go <laughs> make people go crazy. Like, you know, we used to play certain little John records. So it was like a certain while. You could play some Go-Go, but you couldn't really go 
too deep into it. So, because at that time, man, D.C. and New York was not getting along at Virginia State. <laughs> so there was, like, this very big beef between the, the tri-state up north and, like, D.C. I don't know what the beef was, but, yeah. So you couldn't really play too much of it because then New York might still step away, and there was a lot of New Yorkers in Virginia at that time. So, can definitely where? attest to that because, you know, a lot of people from up north went to college down in the Carolinas, you know, your tri-state areas, D.C., Virginia. So they would transport whatever music that was popular in their regions down here. And I think that's what made North Carolina so musically diverse because we had no choice but to hear everything because of all the different sounds that were coming in. Yeah, exactly. Like North Carolina doesn't really have a distinct sound like L.A. or Atlanta or Texas. It has a melting pot. Like, you got J. Cole, then you got the baby, then you got Thunder for Vegas, then you got Tusi, then that's how you say his name, new cat out of Raleigh that was blowing up. So, yeah, then you got Rhapsody. <laughs> you know, it's like you got all these different sounds and different types of bars that's being delivered. So, yeah, mm-hmm. North Carolina's definitely and, a melting pot. Same like Virginia. Same thing with Virginia. Mm-hmm. And Virginia, I think, music-wise, really got put on the map once Teddy set up shop at Future Studios in Virginia Beach, then discovered the Neptunes, then Timberland and Missy was doing their thing with Devontae, with the basement, and then they branched off, did their own thing. So 757-804, pretty much Virginia was really on the map. It was like, hmm, if they can do it, I can do it too. Yeah, I mean, you look at the type of artistry that comes out of Virginia, you know, like you said, with Trey Songs and Chris Brown, then you got the Clips, then you have Missy and Timberland, you know, they have their own futuristic different sound, Pharrell and the Neptune, the Nerd, so, yeah, and then you got some artists that are heavy into that trap music. Depending on where you at in Richmond, they have that trap sound, so then you have some that are, are lyrical, backpack. J. Cole-esque, Rhapsody-type, you know, rappers with melodies and with melodic flow and delivery and your cadence, you know, stuff like that. So, yeah, and uh, Virginia doesn't have a distinct sound either. It's kind of like North Carolina. It's different. Mm, it's definitely an acquired taste, which is why now I'm glad to see the state getting repped the way that it has been, you know, with the likes of J. Cole, Rhapsody, Luke Nasty, the Baby, And then we got to definitely give a big shout-out to a group that had social media would have been big during their time period, they would have been a lot bigger than they were, Little Brother. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. De- yeah, definitely Little Brother, because I uh, met Fonte and Knife Wonder when I was in college at Greensboro. They were doing a promo run for the Minstrel Show when they were on Atlantic, and it took a minute for the Minstrel Show to grow on me because I preferred the listening more, but once I went back and re-listened to the Minstrel Show, it was just as good as the listening, in my opinion. Yeah, I wasn't really too big on Little Brother. I always respected the work, though, especially Mike Wonder, especially, you know, the work that he did on the Black Album. And even now, with the work he's doing with Rhapsody is uh, phenomenal. So, because at the time, they were, they came out before social media became what it was. So, I think even when they reunited a few years ago, 
Like, it, it broke social media. Like, all of North Carolina Twitter and Instagram went crazy. Yeah, I know. I was hyped once the feed went out that they was going to perform at the Art of Cool Festival in Durham. And I was right. like, oh, snap. Because I thought it was like, man, we'll never get another appearance with the original three. But, you know, made it work and everybody went nuts. And you mentioned how now is the time to start your own brand. But you got to look at certain regions of the country was already doing it back then. Let's look at Master P, what he did with No Limit. And then you got to go to the Bay Area with what Hammer was doing before he got signed to Capitol and then Too Short before he got signed to Job. Mm-hmm. Yes. And the independent also definitely has been around. I always advise any artist, be independent, you know, because signing to a major label is sometimes not the best idea unless you want to get screwed in the end. <laughs> and there's a lot of stories coming out of, you know, artists constantly getting screwed over by the label. Just last week, Migo says QC owes them millions of dollars. <laughs> now, I don't know how true that is, but it's a story that's always being told. Megan Thee Stallion months ago, he said the same thing, you know, so I read the paperwork. Yeah, but it's good now because of the internet, everything is at your disposal, more information and the stuff that the labels will try to keep away from artists to have them be financially free and know the business is out there. And the good thing about the rise of the internet now is that artists are coming to the industry more astute in how the business works and saying, why do I need you? I can put it out myself, go directly to the consumer, and keep all of the money and my publisher. Look at what Chance the Rapper did. Yeah, I wish more artists had that mindset, you know, because you are in the direct-to-consumer economy as well. You don't really need a label. I mean, you can if you want that type of machine behind you, but you can honestly build it up and do it yourself because everything is on your phone now. All you have to do is just post the link. You know, when Monique was going on her anti-Netflix media run, I'm like, she could have exerted all that energy into creating her own stand-up and selling the download link directly to her 500,000-plus followers at $10 a download. And you know how much money she would make? 500,000 times 10? Come on, man. You, you would have easily made the millions that you was expecting Netflix to give you. But right. she, chose a, she chose a channel that energy into, you know, her lawsuit with Netflix and going to the media, you know, but what do I know? In the words of Dave Chappelle, there's always Fubu. Exactly. Exactly. There's always Fubu, but we definitely got to give credit to this man who had an idea to create a channel that was for us and counteract the narratives that have been seen in the media up in that time, and that was Mr. Robert Johnson, founder of BT, which turned 40 this year. Yeah, that's a major milestone. I wish he still owned it. Right. It's owned now by Viacom, and this is a good time to be a creative because you get to control your narratives, tell the stories the way that you want to see it. No need to bang down the door of a film studio or a TV studio to tell your story. Look at what Ava DuVernay has been doing or Lena Waite and The Shy or any other creative that's out there and having success because everything is right at your disposal and I can just go directly to you, put it out myself instead of having to go through a middleman to get it done. Exactly. And make sure you own the name. That's another thing. Going back to the mechanic situation, you know, you got to make sure you own 
your work if he still on Wildin' Out. If they would have dropped the show, okay, I could take it elsewhere, but Viacom owns the name. So for all you creators out there, because you own your brand, own your work, and do not sell it. <laughs> do not sell any percentage or anything. That's what also got Tom Joyner about here, you know. I think Tom Joyner would still be on the radio had he not been forced out. But he got forced out of his own company because he sold 50% of his shares. Mm -mm. I'm going to give everybody two words that's going to help you if you're a creative. Are you ready for them? Trademark copyright. Yeah. Trademark copyright. And as we're seeing with American Soul, we're seeing the story of Don Cornelius and how he took Soul Train from a local Chicago dance show to an international phenomenon where the show pretty much influenced culture Dan, every asset of entertainment that you can think of and all the people who got their start dancing on the show. I didn't notice until recently that Avion Crockett, shout out to Avion Crockett, another North Carolina native, got his start dancing on Soul Train. Mm, I didn't know that either. Yeah, he said once he first graduated high school out in Fayetteville, he moved out to L.A. to pursue Hollywood, and Soul Train was one of the first things he got when he got out there. Oh, wow. Yeah, but if you take a look at Soul Train and how Don was able to say, this is for us, by us, I'm going to own every last bit of it, and I'll be darned if I'm going to sell what I built from the ground up to you. Right. That's when we end up making a mistake. We, we sell our work, and we still work on it. <laughs> you know, Nick sold the rights, but he still created more shows in a partnership with Viacom, so they're able to match the show or something small, you know, and misunderstanding. So they were able to take his show away because he don't own it. But like you said, those two words, trademark, copyright. Mm -hmm. And I want to go back to No Limit and Master P because when he signed his deal with Priority, it was unheard of at the time where it was favoring him and not the other way around where I get to keep my masters and plus get a bigger slice of the pie. How unheard of was that in the mid-'90s for the music business? That is super unheard of. But when you have leverage, and that's also something I teach people as well, when you have leverage, that's what you work out at the deal. Like, you don't come to the – you don't go to the table asking. You know, they came to him because he was already putting in work selling his own music. So he already had leverage. Anytime somebody comes to you, you have leverage. You have the upper hand versus you going to them. Now they have the upper hand and can set any deal, you know, in place. So, like, that even reminds me of the deal I had at radio, which was unheard of. So when I was on 95.5 in Rocky Mountain, it wasn't a petty position. But I still took it, and I worked it for a year to build my name up in that market, build my show brand up and so then I started thinking okay how can I generate revenue with my show now any other person this is actual facts anybody working for free and I've seen this they'll go run into the program director or the management demanding to get paid they're doing XYZ I'm demanding to get a paycheck I didn't want to go that route I wanted to create my own paycheck so I proposed an idea and I presented to them and I said look let me sell four minutes each commercial break and I keep 100% of the Profits. So they took it, they looked at it, and it was like, okay, so whatever I sold within that four minutes on my show, each commercial break, that was my paycheck. It made when I tell you, boy, I was selling like I was on the phone, I was on Facebook every day, bro, I was getting at least 
another two grand a month on the side. And that's crazy because, as you and I both know in radio, depending on what market you're at, sales are hard to come by because a lot of the more established salespeople inside the building have the big accounts like your car lots and everything that will constantly bring in money since they mm-hmm. renew every month. Yeah, exactly. So, but see, I was going after the small businesses that actually didn't think they could afford radio. My rate was affordable. Man, it was times, like I said, I was doing at least on a consistent basis an extra $2,000 a month on the side. And you can't be that whenever you got a little extra money in your pocket. You say, hmm, it's always better to have more than one source and your money keeps rolling in. Now, when was the decision for you to say, I'm going to leave corporate behind and I'm going to be my own boss to have that entrepreneurial freedom to do what I want, when I want, and not to rely on getting paid every two weeks. I actually mentioned this in my book, How to Fire Your Boss. It's out right now. I'll plug the links a little bit later. At the time, I had a residency at this spot called Cam's in Goldsboro, North Carolina. DJing Tuesdays, Thursdays, every other Friday. And then I had some Saturday events as well. So one day I was walking to my truck and I was doing the math in my head. At the time, I had got cut part-time, making $7.70 an hour. So my paycheck, I would have to work 30, 35 hours. I could only work 35 hours. So 35 hours would net me 700 a month. So when I started making my bi-weekly paycheck after two nights of DJing at camps, that's when I knew it was time for me to walk away. Yeah, because sometimes, you know, when you are in that entrepreneurial mindset and you see, like, I want to do more of this, but because of the constraints of a regular nine-to-five, you can't really focus on that. So you eventually got to take that leap of faith and that you have. And with your move to the Raleigh-Durham market, have you noticed a difference as far as how things move in shape? Raleigh-Durham is a totally different vibe than a small town of Ronald Rapids. First of all, there's way more people and way more opportunities. So, let's see, my thing is I always try to think outside the box. I don't always try to go and do what every DJ is doing. So, just to give you an example, I created a brand called Yo Karaoke, and Yo Karaoke came about. I was helping uh, different DJs, you know, basically putting them in position to DJ more events. So, I'm like, well, I'm putting them in position. I'm helping them. There's only so many parties to do and run up rapids. So, I ventured off and started doing Yo Karaoke. I created my own lane, and I had no competition. Came down here, I just had the same mentality. I just started thinking outside the box and going to different venues that typically DJs wouldn't go to. So, it's a different vibe, man. People are, you know, their mindset is different. The money is different. I could tell them 100 an hour, and it wouldn't phase them. Mm, and another thing, I would tell anybody who is out getting whatever it is they're getting as far as entrepreneurship is concerned, know your worth. Because if your work is going to cost X amount of dollars, say, hey, it costs X amount of dollars and don't back down from it, you know? Yeah. I mean, just knowing you. Also know what the market is, what the price in the market is. You know, you don't want to price yourself out of the market and you're not getting booked or nobody is really coming to you for your brand because, you know, you price yourself too high. So just see what the market is that and then base it from there. You know, right now, I'm flowing between 75 and 100 an hour. So the market here, that's what typically, you know, DJs are getting, you know, is between, between that price. So I wouldn't go and be like, well, I'm going to charge 200 an hour. Then I'll, <laughs> I'll be home every weekend. Doing absolutely nothing. Or you could be um doing yard parties. I don't know. 
Yeah, but for those of you that are not from the country in Destin City Fire, yard parties is pretty much think of it as a big outdoor nightclub. And you have trash cans tied to the tree or bags, and you have somebody outside DJing, and there it is, BYOB. Yeah, I just did a yard party two weekends ago. They had a whole bartender out there, man, under the tent, man. Everybody was at the whole time. They was just under the tent drinking. They wouldn't even pay me no mind. Ooh, did anybody suffer a showdown fall off the stage moment? Nah, nah, it wasn't any of that. <laughs> no, no, for those of you, I know those of you don't know this, but there's this video on YouTube, me, 321, and CJ. We always look at this video when we used to work together. It's a video of a DJ by the name of Showdown, and he was at this nightclub, and he was staggering towards the end of the stage, he fell off, but just watch the video. Type in on YouTube, Showdown takes a tumble or Showdown falls off stage. You'll thank me later. It's the guy that's uh, in the video that makes it. Yeah, makes it funny. And also, don't grill inside the house or shoot off fireworks. Right. Or use potatoes during your DJ set. I ain't going to get you, man. You keep playing. I got to get Ern and CJ on the show, man. So, CJ, Ern, if you guys ever want to come on to the podcast, man, you know how to reach me, man. I definitely got to get them on because there's so many stories between all of us and to just see where everybody has gone to in their respective careers. It's a beautiful thing because I look at with the podcast that I'm doing, I look at it as an extension of what I was doing with the time machine and just seeing now that everybody's loving what I'm doing and still looking at those interviews on YouTube is really giving me that second wind of saying, hey, there is a market for what I was doing, but it was just that I was doing it at a time when, like Little Brothers, not everybody was up on social media like they were back in the early 2000s, like 04, 05, 06. Because not too many people knew what YouTube was. Like you just said, you know, people wasn't really up on it, so now they are. And you're a perfect example of revisiting an old idea, not necessarily giving up on it, but coming back to it like, okay, now is the time for it. You know, I've done that plenty of times. Like, I have an idea of DJing fitness parties, so I tried my hand at it a couple of times, and I'm pretty sure... I'll revisit the idea maybe 2021, you know, because a lot of there's going to be some spin cycle events and locations, so, and they use DJs. So, yeah, man, there's nothing wrong with putting the idea on hold and then revisiting it later. Yeah, just because something doesn't hit right on time, it just means that it's too ahead of the curve, and it just means you just hold on to it, and like we've been saying, just revisit it when the time is right, because if you look at most of these streaming platforms, they give you all of the analytics as far as what demo listens to your podcast, which platforms they stream on the most, what's the age range. And what is the demographic as far as sex is concerned? So it's definitely all at your disposal. And if you play your cards right, if you build a big buzz, you can take your stuff somewhere and say, hey, I average X amount of listeners per episode, blah, 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 boom, boom, bip, charge me this much. Yeah, and just keep working on it, you know, because you never know what might take off. And then that'll introduce people to your other stuff. Like a lot of times people go viral and they don't have anything else. They don't have any other type of content. So when they go viral, it's like that's kind of it. 
you know, comedian Darren Fleet, when I had interviewed him a couple of years ago, it's like when he goes viral and then he says all his other stuff goes viral in the process. So it's like they see one video and then they see another video. But now he's got multiple videos getting millions of views. But that wouldn't have happened if he wasn't constantly making those type of videos every day. So you got to prepare for mm-hmm. that. Yeah, so it's almost kind of similar to when you finally release that breakthrough album that hits, and then everybody goes back and listens to your earlier work. Exactly. They go and listen to your mixtapes. They go and watch your videos. They just they go and soak up all of your content because they're like, oh, wow, this is like this first actually pretty dope. So that's mm-hmm. what it is. So. If you have an idea, like, I had to tell one of our colleagues this earlier because he wants to speed the process up. I had to tell him, like, bro, you can't speed it up. There's nothing that's going to speed any of this up. You just got to keep putting in the work every day, every week. You got to keep working on it. So when it does happen, you'll be ready. You got enough content created that can sustain the success because once this joint hits, you got to be ready. You can't rush it. Nothing good ever comes from rushing. It's just like a home-cooked meal. You don't get it right away like you would at a fast food joint. You got to prepare it. You got to season it. Got to let it simmer, let it cook, let it bake. And then when it's ready to eat, it'll be ready to be good and ready to eat. That's how you have to treat your idea no matter what it is. You just have to be patient. Great things take time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you definitely have to trust the process. In the words of uh, former Sixers GM Stan Kroenke. And uh, before we close the interview, plug your websites, plug your books, where they can find them, your social media handles, all that good stuff. Hi, hey, man. DJ321, spell out the two all across the board on all social media platforms. You can also get my ebooks, How to Fire Your Boss. I tell my story how I fired my boss, left my nine to five, and I made DJing my main source of income. I've also created other businesses along the way. I detail um, how I did it and also how you can do it as well. If, you, if you're ready to make that leap, if you're tired of going to that, that nine to five, if you're tired of working for that incompetent boss that thinks just speaking Spanish when you ask for a raise, <laughs> You know, you're overworked and underpaid. I was that person, so I decided to write an ebook, How to Fire Your Boss. Also, my other ebook, So You Want to Start a Podcast, How to Start and Monetize Your Podcast. So that's sitting on a podcast ideas, don't know how to get started. I broke down how to get started, what equipment to use, how to monetize. So, yeah, you can get both of those ebooks on my website, dj321.com, fill out the two. Yeah, man. So, yeah, just go ahead and cop those e-books. Check them out. Jay Mace, I appreciate the love, man. Thank you for having me on the podcast, brother. I truly had a great conversation, as always, with you. You know, we always talk about different things on a regular basis anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know we do. So, uh, you can listen to this interview along with past shows on Anchor Breaker, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, Podbeam, or wherever you get your podcast. And coming soon, we'll be having video content, just taking the audio from the podcast, transferring it to YouTube. That'll be coming soon, so follow the Facebook show page, facebook.com forward slash beyond the album cover to stay updated to everything related to the show. Once again, I got my brother from another mother, my good friend, my compadre, my mentor, my ace, DJ 321. 3-2, thank you once again, bro. Anytime, brother.